we have a record amount of extra revenue. And uh, there's a number of things that you can do with it. For the families that we see, if they can save an average of $14 a month in the store, that's gas money to get to work. I mean, there's just a number of things that families can use it for. Utah has an extra $600 million to spend this year, and there are a lot of ideas on how to spend it. One of those is to make groceries a little cheaper for people by cutting the state food tax. This is State Street. I'm Sonia Hudson. And I'm Emily Means. We're going to talk about that food tax and other ideas to cut taxes in today's episode. We're going to hear from a Republican representative who's also an economist, and we'll also hear from a pastor who runs a food bank. But first, we thought we'd head to the grocery store to see what that tax means in action for low-income people. Oh, all the wheels work on this one. What we want to do is buy a week's worth of groceries. And our budget is roughly $50 because that's what the USDA says is the average cost for a single person between 19 and 50 years old to spend on a low-cost grocery plan. Well, let's see what we can get while keeping in mind also that we're going to have to add taxes on to whatever our total is. All right, let's go. Um, all right, the broccoli is $149 a pound, so that's 70 er, Two pounds of broccoli. Times, so that's so it's $3. So it's $3 for broccoli. Okay. Also, something to consider, meat is expensive. Um, yes. And you don't eat a lot of meat. I don't eat a lot I of meat. I don't eat that much meat. I feel but... maybe we could get like a couple chicken breasts just for like some cheap protein. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's do that. Let's do a spaghetti and a short pasta. Welcome valued customer. Place your item in the bagging area. Yep. How much is it? Um, Total. We're 75 cents over. So with taxes, okay. um, that's going to bump us up a bit. Ooh, look at all those discounts. Your total is 53.22. If you have uh, coupons, press coupon. Otherwise, you know, Emily, it was really tough to grocery shop this way using a calculator and just being super conscious of how much everything costs. But let's pull out the receipt and look at what we paid in taxes. So our total was 53.22 and a dollar and 55 cents of that was sales tax. So that's actually less than I expected for this one trip, but it was just one trip. And, and for one person. And for one person. And it does add up. So let's take a look at how much that would be for a whole month's worth of groceries. So what was it? A dollar fifty-five is how much we spent mm -hmm. um, for one week's worth of groceries. So times four for a month is six dollars and twenty cents. So later we're going to talk with someone about how much that little bit of extra cash can mean for someone who is low income. There is a proposal at the legislature to remove the state's portion of the tax on food. So that's about 1.75 percent. So if you pay $100 in groceries, a buck 75 basically is added on in the state tax. And that's just one idea for what lawmakers could do with the state's surplus this year. 
They could spend it on a state program. They could put it in a rainy day fund. They could get rid of the food tax. Right. And that's just one portion of the sales tax. So removing it wouldn't get rid of everything. You'll remember our tax on a $50 trip was about $1.50. And only some of that was the state's portion. And something else they're considering is just an across-the-board income tax cut. Now, this is something Republican leaders really want to see, is that income tax rate going down. But Democrats generally support removing the food tax. Yeah, it's a little more complicated for Republicans. You know, some of them think just removing the food tax is a good idea. Then you've got Governor Spencer Cox, who has suggested a grocery tax rebate for low-income families instead, to the tune of about $160 million. And that would mean basically you'd get a little extra money on your tax return. And some Republicans say they just don't know yet. Yeah, it is early on in the session, but it's still worth talking about all of these proposals. Because... As we learned from Senate President Stuart Adams during his opening day speech, we'll have a bit of a tax deja vu. You may remember last year, I declared 2021 as the year of the tax cut. Well, 2022 is the year of the tax cut again. So... Taxes, man. Taxes, man. <laughs> oh, man. I talked to a man who thinks about taxes a lot. That would be Republican Representative Robert Spenlove. He's an economist for his day job, and he's also the vice chair of the Executive Appropriations Committee in the legislature. And they specifically look at all things budget. So I got his take on all these different tax proposals and the extra cash the state has this year. Representative Robert Spenlove, thank you so much for joining me. Senate President Stuart Adams says 2022 is the year of the tax cut. There are multiple proposals this year to lower income tax rates across the board. And I know you spend a lot of time thinking about the state's budget. So what do you think of these proposals? Well, we're right at the beginning of the session. So we're still trying to figure out exactly where we want to go. One of the main proposals is uh, to cut the income tax rate from 4.95 to 4.85 percent would uh, would be about a hundred and sixty million dollar tax cut. Can you kind of explain how the proposals to lower the income tax rate could impact an individual and their livelihood? Like what what could that look like in one family's budget? Now, it really depends on on you know the, the individual family uh, circumstances. The more someone pays in taxes, the more of a cut they'll get. Really, everyone who pays taxes would get a cut. But you know that that uh, younger family of four with two kids earning fifty thousand dollars will get you know a relatively smaller uh, tax cut, maybe a, a couple hundred dollars a year. A family that makes. Uh, $150,000 will get a relatively larger tax cut just because they pay more money into the tax system. Mm -hmm. So you're an economist by trade, uh, as well as being on the Executive Appropriations Committee. When you're hearing about these income tax cuts, what are you thinking about? What are you weighing in your head? There's a lot of things that we think about as we're trying to decide what to do with the budget and on taxes. Um, kind of looking at tax policy, one of the most important things that that I need to be thinking about 
is do we have enough revenue to cover what the state needs to be doing? We want to make sure that we're uh, bringing in enough revenue. But then we also want a system that is efficient. Uh, We want one that's simple. And we also want uh, one that encourages equity. And so we want one that, you know, treats people in different situations fairly. And so, you know, we're looking at all those different parts to try to find the right uh, combination. So there's also a bill to remove the tax on food. And that's what Democrats and community advocates are really pushing for this session. What do you make of that proposal? You kind of have to look at where the, the revenue goes to kind of look at those different options. So the state government is funded by two primary mechanisms. One is uh, the sales tax, and the other is the income tax. The sales tax goes into the general fund, while the income tax goes into the education fund. So one of the struggles with cutting the sales tax, it funds essentially everything, almost everything that government does, except for education and a, and a few small areas that we changed with the Constitution a couple of years ago. And so... If we cut the sales tax, it can have a, a big impact on government services. And so there's been a reluctance to actually remove the, the sales tax on food, not because uh, people don't want to help taxpayers. It's just it's a, a, you know, makes it tougher for that revenue source. Democrats are worried about how cutting the income tax could impact education funding. Are there measures in place to protect that education funding? Yeah, we absolutely uh, have uh, protections for education. That was really part of Amendment G that we passed in 2020, that the that the voters passed in uh, 2020, which, uh, you know, so one side of it is it does expand uh, where income taxes can go. Uh, so in, in addition to going to education, it, it can also go to some limited uh, 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 social services and also to other needs of children. But then in in, in a similar piece of legislation, we also provided safeguards into education funding, into kind of making sure that education has those protections uh, to prevent uh, that, you know, that revenue source from being depleted. When we're talking about the tax proposals this year, you know, and across the board income tax cut and removing the tax on food, do you think there's room for both? The short answer is yes. I mean, we could we could find ways to do a number of different things. And even beyond kind of those two main ideas, there's a few other ideas uh, that are being considered as well. One of them is an earned income tax credit to uh, kind of direct those income tax benefits to the uh, to lower income. Uh, another one is uh, the governor's talking about a grocery tax credit. Would be which would be an income tax credit, but it would be based on the amount of groceries that people buy. Another one would be to uh, expand the exemption for uh, Social Security income. So you said that one thing that's important to consider as an economist when you're talking about taxes is equity. Is this tax policy that we're putting forth equitable for people? Uh, which is more equitable, an across-the-board tax cut on income or uh, removing the tax on food. Since you're asking me as an economist, I'm going to give you an economist answer, and that is always it depends. So <laughs> it depends on how Classic. You're, <laughs> it and it does it. It depends on how you're looking at that equity. Are you looking at uh, equity as the ability of someone to pay, 
or are you looking at equity as uh, that everyone has a, a similar impact? What, what's interesting is removing the sales tax on food has a similar economic impact to cutting the tax rate. Essentially, everyone gets the same share drop of the uh, of that tax. And so those that buy more in groceries would get a bigger benefit. Now, if we're looking at ability to pay, that's where people are advocating something like the earned income tax credit, which uh, kind of focuses that tax benefit on uh, lower income individuals. And so it, it really just depends on how you're looking at it and what kind of impact we want to have. We have a big budget surplus this year. People are really excited about it. Do we need to do a tax cut or are there other options for using that money? That's going to be one of the main uh, items of debate this session is uh, we have a record amount of extra revenue and uh, there's a number of things that you can do with it. We could spend it all. We could save it all. We could return it all to the taxpayers. And I think what we're going to see is something kind of in between. So you will see a lot of that money going into the state's rainy day fund which is the state's emergency savings account. But there is also kind of a recognition that this money comes from the taxpayers. It comes from you and me when we pay our taxes. And when we've got the money, uh, we want to be returning at least a portion of that to the taxpayers. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll hear Sonia's conversation with a pastor who helps run a food bank at her church. She's going to talk about how this impacts real people, what her thoughts are on the different grocery tax proposals, and what she thinks the state should spend its surplus on. You're listening to State Street. Support for State Street comes from the Hinckley Report podcast a weekly roundtable discussion about the biggest political headlines in the Beehive State. Find new episodes of PBS Utah's The Hinckley Report every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to State Street. I'm Emily Means. And I'm Sonia Hudson. The legislature will be deciding this session if they want to make any changes to the grocery tax. So I talked to Vanetta Golfin-Wilkerson. She's a pastor at the Granger Community Christian Church in West Valley City, and she helps run the food bank there. She says they have seen more and more people coming in and needing help throughout the pandemic. You know, COVID's been really hard economically on a lot of people. But also over time, she's seen more and more people rely on the food bank, not just in emergencies, but as a regular part of what they need to get by every month. You know, when I talked to one of our pantry team members yesterday, and I told her that we were going to have this conversation. So I said, what can I tell them to describe how this impacts people. And her answer was often families are telling her, if you weren't here, we would not survive. We see a variety of focus. It's not one group or one person. We have um, about 80% of the people we serve are working poor. So you'll have two, three, you know, or more part-time jobs in a household. And so that means that they have to cover the cost of housing and maintaining housing. And so they are at risk. So one of the things that we provide now, instead of being an emergency pantry, we're a survival pantry. And what that means is that we are a part of how they plan to care for their family day by day. 
We have um, people that we serve who are medically fragile. So they're dealing with sometimes severe illnesses or chronic illnesses. And this is before COVID. So that the cost of food has an impact on their ability to acquire medicine. And then we have people who are just at incredible economic risk in terms of do they have enough money to be able to support their family from week to week. How would eliminating a sales tax on groceries help, um, you know, the, the people that you just described, the groups of people you just described? It's money they don't have to spend in the grocery store. It's just that simple. Um, you know, I know that there are some very well-meaning people who want to come up with other strategies that may make a difference in, you know, middle-class families and others. But for the families that we see, if they can save an average of $14 a month in the store, that's gas money to get to work. I mean, they have the right to choose. It could be something as simple as paying for laundry. If you don't have a washer, $14 would get you maybe... I don't know, four loads of clothes washed and dried with detergent. I mean, there's just a number of things that families can use it for. When you interact with people that, you know, this is their situation and, and you hear these stories, how does that make you feel? We could do better as a community. You know, one of the things that I'm a transplant to Utah, and one of the things that I liked about being here that I found engaging was a commitment to family and a commitment to community. So how is it that we can see this going on and decide that it doesn't matter, it doesn't count? It's not like the state is going to be somehow bankrupt without it. To me, it's like, don't we care? Yeah. So Governor Spencer Cox has suggested that instead of eliminating the grocery tax entirely, the state should give low and middle income families a grocery tax credit. How would that impact families? The families who need it most won't notice, because what we're saying is you may need this money now in your home and your household. But if you wait for 12 months and fill out the form correctly and another six weeks, we'll send you a check. But they, people are living paycheck to paycheck, week to week. I don't think that it makes a difference for the people who need it the most. More broadly, there is this philosophical debate, I think, about what to do each year with a budget surplus of hundreds of millions of dollars um, that the state has. Republicans want to use it this year to cut income taxes for everyone. Democrats and some community activists say that extra money is actually a sign the state isn't funding social services enough. And, you know, they think the state should invest it in the people who need it the most. Where do you fall on that debate? I think it's an interesting dichotomy that they've created that may not be fair. Because the community at large, the, the, the taxpayers, the citizens of the community need a myriad of things. And if we have hundreds of people who are living with insecure housing, who are living paycheck to paycheck, who don't have the medical care, the mental health care, the things that they need, that has an economic drain on our citizenry. So if what we do is to say, let's divide this pie up and give everybody a little piece of it and ignore those other needs, I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot. I think it's much more important to take a broader approach to say, OK, if economic development is what we need, how does having homeless encampments help that or deter for that? 
And, you know, if we want to have be able to attract industry, we need to be able to educate people and keep them working. So what are the things that we could spend that money on to help support those needs? I mean, I think we need to take a broader view. So Pastor Vanetta Golfin-Wilkerson really stressed the importance of having just that little bit of extra cash in your pocket when you're low income. Yeah, you know, when we went grocery shopping, the tax didn't seem like a lot of money, right? But talking to her, it really adds up when you're low income and you need that money to get to work or to do a load of laundry. Basically, she's saying if this is something that can help people who need it the most, then why not? Because in her view, the state can afford it. And that grocery tax rebate the governor is proposing really isn't that useful if you have to wait to get it while you're living paycheck to paycheck. Right. Well, Representative Robert Spenlove says when you're thinking about all these proposals, nothing is ever that straightforward. I love that he said the typical economist answer is always it depends because I feel like I respond that way a lot as a journalist. Right. Is our version of that? It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think we say that <laughs> I a think lot. So. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Yeah. But yeah, Spenlove says there is a lot to consider for any tax proposal, whether it's an income tax cut or removing the state's sales tax on food, and maybe most importantly, is whether it's revenue sufficient, meaning can we afford to do this? Well, the state does have this $600 million surplus. That's a lot of money. But they're also, on the other hand, not totally sure if the surplus will happen again next year or the year after that because of the huge influx of federal aid from the pandemic. And they think that might be causing, you know, an overinflated surplus this year. But for now, it seems like they can afford this. However, Life's about trade-offs, and this is not the only thing they're considering funding. So I think it just comes down to what proposal they think is the most important and the most valuable. The budget is always a really good look at what the legislature's priorities and values are. All right. Tax cuts were not the only things that lawmakers were talking about this week. Emily, let's go through what else the legislature got up to. COVID was really front and center, Sonia. Senate President Stuart Adams came to the first day of the session just five days after he tested positive for COVID. He did not wear a mask on the Senate floor, which goes against CDC guidelines. Adams also said during that opening speech that he had tested negative that morning, but later in the day, his office sent out a statement saying his test results were mixed. But then some journalists from the Salt Lake Tribune found that Adams had actually tested positive twice that morning. The legislature passed a resolution to overturn mask mandates in Salt Lake County and Summit County. They suspended their own rules so they could pass it without having a public hearing. The governor doesn't need to sign it because it's a resolution, so it went into effect immediately. The legislature also passed a bill that ends the test-to-stay response to COVID in schools. As cases have risen, the state has totally maxed out its capacity for testing, which has made the test-to-stay program basically useless. That bill also passed without any committee hearings or public comment. That does it for this episode of State Street. I'm Emily Means. And I'm Sonia Hudson. The team includes Caroline Ballard, Elaine Clark, Brenton Weiniger, and Jim Hill. State Street is a production of KUER. 
If you liked what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It helps other listeners find the show. See you next week. I, I would just That's get the extra large what, oh, dozen eggs. Extra large. Yeah. When I was a lad, I ate five dozen eggs. I mean, we can we, every morning <laughs> to help. What is that from? Um, it's Beauty and the Beast. Oh. And now I'm a is man. That gas- I eat five that, dozen eggs. Is that yeah. Gaston? <laughs> can one person eat, eat that? that? One person that can't question. eat eighteen eggs in one week, unless you're Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. From KUER.